Well, hello there, and welcome back to the podcast. 75 years ago today, it's Thursday, November 7th, 1946, and whilst Betty is enjoying some delightfully cool and pleasant weather in Nanchang, in her hometown of Sydney, the weather's been a little different. On the front page of today's Sydney Morning Herald, a lead story states, Southerly breaks a heatwave. Record November high. Sydney's record heatwave yesterday was quickly relieved when a southerly buster swept the city at 4.15pm. At 2.30pm, the temperature had reached 104.5 degrees Fahrenheit. In modern speak, that's just over 40 degrees Celsius. A record for any November day and the hottest since January 4th, 1942, when 107.5 degrees was recorded. Within a few minutes of its arrival, the southerly had risen to a 53-mile-an-hour gale and the temperature had tumbled by 35 degrees. The ban on the lighting of fires in the open has been reimposed because of the danger of bushfires. In other front-page news, Republicans win U.S. Congress. The Republican Party wrested control of the United States Congress from the Democrats, President Truman's party, in yesterday's elections the Democrats had held a majority in Congress for 16 years. The figures are not yet complete, but Republicans appear certain of a majority in the House of Representatives and have a small majority in the Senate. The present Democratic administration of President Truman will, however, continue. There won't be a presidential election until 1948. In other items, British officials state that owing to the acute food shortage in Germany, They are facing the most serious situation since the occupation. Also from Britain, the Undersecretary of Overseas Trade, Professor Margwand, warned that Britain must prepare for a serious depression. In Australia, petrol rationing will be continued until after Christmas, when the position will be once again reviewed. Restrictions on the sale of cream and the manufacture of ice cream will be lifted next Monday. However, firm control of prices, interest, land values and other economic factors to preserve a stabilised economy will be continued by the Australian Commonwealth Government. And the Sydney weather forecast for today, cloudy and cool with occasional showers, moderate fresh south to southeasterly winds and moderate seas. Before we hear from Betty today, we'll resume the story of UNRWA. Chapter 24. Special Care for the Children Care and consideration for children, always war's most tragic victims, was underscored by UNRWA in the displaced persons operation. Thousands of youngsters turned up among the masses of human beings who sought shelter. The luckier ones still clung to some member of their family. But many others were the so-called unaccompanied children who often knew neither their nationality nor their name. Some of them had spent most of their short, disordered lives in Belsen, Dachau, or one of the other horror camps, branded and beaten and driven mercilessly. Not a few had seen their parents killed before their eyes. They had come out of their experience timid, possessive, frightened, or hardened arrogant. What more could happen to them? They'd had it. 
Almost all were dirty and malnourished and ragged. To give these children the physical and psychological care they so desperately needed, special children's centres were established in the most livable and pleasant quarters available. There the children were given proper food, medicines, schooling, vocational training and slowly taught to laugh and play again. The number of children in these special centres, which totaled about 10,000, was soon swelled by thousands of other United Nations children who had been stolen and absorbed into German homes and who were located by UNRWA search teams. We'll resume the story of UNRWA in further episodes. Meanwhile, it's over to Betty in Nanchang. Mrs. Betty Suta, care of UNRWA Embankment Building, 370 North Suchow Road, Shanghai, 7th of November, 1946. Written from Regional Office, Nanchang, Shanxi. Greetings to you. My correspondence has been so much neglected this last month that I'm compelled to write a circular letter to overcome my omissions. As time goes by, and please note that I have now spent more than six months in Nanchang, I find more and more work to do and less and less time for my letters. That is, no doubt, the usual complaint of those away from home. But it is a fact, nevertheless. Nanchang is quite a delightful place in this present weather. Clear sunny days, cool cold nights. At the moment, there is bright moonlight too. The disadvantage of the dryness is the four-inch sheet of dust on all the roads. But that only worries you if you are ploughing through it on foot, which is not often. Or if there is a vehicle on the road ahead of you, which is not often permitted. On the whole, I am all in favour of the fall in China. We have had many and important changes in the staff in this office in recent weeks. Our director, Bill Duncan, was recalled to Shanghai. I don't know yet what his new job will be. He was replaced here by Herbert Rummel, American, who has had some experience as a welfare specialist in the starvation province of Hunan. Unfortunately, he has had to start his directorship with a week in bed with a very bad cold. But he appears to be most enthusiastic and energetic and capable. There have been other transfers too, and I begin to feel like an old hand or an old contemptible or some such. There are very few of the originals left here now. Maybe I'll be the next to go. Who knows? Last Sunday afternoon, I enjoyed an unexpected visit out to Chungcheng University, situated about 10 kilometres out of Nanchang. I went out with Alf Olsen, a young Dane, industrial rehabilitation expert, and with Professor Sai, civil engineering, Mrs. Sai, and three little Sais. The professor and his wife speak very good English, even better than poor old Alfie. The university was only established six years ago in Taiho, where there were very temporary buildings erected to house the students and the lecturers during the war. The permanent site for the university will be in Nanchang, much closer to the city than it is at present. 
The present location is that of an army officer's training school, which existed before the war and which was occupied by the Japanese throughout most of the eight years. All the faculties, except medicine, are contained within this one group of buildings. Shanxi only has one university, like most of the other provinces. But in the bigger centres, like Nanking and Shanghai, they have as many as eight or ten universities. I must say, the Changcheng University does not look anything at all like a centre of culture. There are lines of dirty grey huts down a hillside, with chickens and washing all around, children, coolies and water buffalo dodging here and there. There are four main groups of buildings, homes of the lecturing staff, women's dormitories, men's dormitories, lecture rooms. The purpose of having the huts ranged down the hillside is obvious. Drainage. All open drains and all lead to the bottom of the hill, which I would hate to have to walk across or through. There just are not any pipes, I suppose. All of the huts are bamboo, plastered with mud plaster, floors of mud or cobblestones. It must be horribly bleak and bitterly cold there in wintertime. There are, I understand, about 1,200 students at the present time, all of them being necessarily housed and fed there. The place is too far out from town for day attendance. I glanced in the dormitories and in the lecture rooms. All are grimly furnished, with the barest of furnishings. Each student has a wooden bed, a table and a chair, and a box for personal belongings. In the lecture rooms, there are no desks at all, but each chair has a wide arm to enable the student to take notes. There seemed to be plenty of chairs, unlike the medical college, where the students have to sit on narrow carpenter's benches. On the whole, I would say that a young man or woman taking a student's life would have to be very, very keen, considering the present facilities. The principal of the university and his wife were most charming people. Professor Huang lectures in engineering, and Mrs Huang is a fully qualified chemist, having obtained her degrees in England. The professor holds American degrees. I was particularly impressed by Mrs Huang, but for some reason felt profoundly sorry for her. When she mentioned the wonderful six years that she'd spent in England, well before the war, of course, I felt that she yearned after some of the amenities or privileges that China so obviously lacks. Surely she, and others like her, must realise how far back China really is in civilised development. After showing us over their scattered buildings, we were invited to drink tea in the customary, hospitable manner. We sat there in the bleak little room and talked with them of all the plans for the development of Chengcheng College. I wonder how far it will have been developed in, say, the next 20 years. Professor and Mrs Huang seemed to enjoy the talk with Alf and I quite a lot. We were certainly interested in hearing their angle. The lack of finance is at the root of China's troubles these days, I would say. How such an institution can get along at all in the obvious state of bankruptcy, I really do not know. The Sais and the Huangs were very good friends, 
and the afternoon had the atmosphere of a Sunday afternoon visit at home. The Huang baby suddenly woke up from its afternoon nap and became the centre of interest for a while. Mrs. Sai chattering away in Chinese about the way it had grown, etc. The Sai children came dashing into the house every so often, aiming for a biscuit or a sweet, just like any other kids. Someone then suggested a game of mahjong. I was thrilled to bits at that, because there is one thing that I have wanted to do in China, and that was to play mahjong with the Chinese. They were quite surprised when I said that I had once played the game and thought that I knew a little about it. So I was given a hand with Mrs. Sai as my coach if I wanted it, and Mrs. Huang, Mr. Sai, and the professor took the other hands. It was a lot of fun. My first surprise was to find the meanings of the characters. After playing all those times before, I had not known that the Chinese lettering on the characters only means one character, two characters, etc. You see, I have learnt how to write my numbers from 1 to 10. The Chinese ivories do not help at all by furnishing Roman numbers, so it made it all the more interesting. Contrary to my belief, the Chinese game is very fast. We ripped through four hands in no time. I really did enjoy myself. I had hoped that this letter would be uninterrupted. My hopes were useless. The day has nearly passed and here I am, not too far ahead at all. You would be truly surprised by the busy life I lead here. Of course, I have bought much of it on myself. Marge Block wanted to take some leave and go to Hong Kong and I, being unable to go myself, volunteered to help out in the office during her absence and thereby strengthened her application. Result? Betty Mavis doing quite a solid amount of typing and general office work as well as the usual duties. Hey-ho. Now that we have some cooler weather, we have found the energy to get going with the badminton. It's a lot of fun. We play after work each afternoon until such a time as the moon comes up and we are swiping hopefully after cocks that simply are not there. The YMCA has notified us that the tennis court is again playable, so we will try it this weekend. Things are looking up. We've had more than the usual trouble with our electricity, though. One night last week it failed three times between 6 and 8 o'clock, so at 8, Alfie decided to go along to the powerhouse and investigate. I went with him. Alfie has spent quite some time at the powerhouse, of course, over the last few months, and is very much at home there. I had only been along on odd occasions to have a look-see, to collect ice or to visit the manager's wife. It was no surprise to me to see Alf launch forth into a battle of words with the chief engineer, Chinese. But it was indeed a surprise to find that their intense conversation was being carried on in German. Alf, the Dane, and Lu, the Chinese, conversing in German, while I, the English-speaking unit, stood by and understood not a word they said. Life can be most complicated in honor, I assure you. To get back to the cause of the trouble, we ascertained that on the journey from Tao to Nanchang by junk, the coal sacks in some, many cases, had been replaced with sacks of sand. Result? Not enough fuel to raise the heat to the proper degree. Not enough heat to produce light. Simple, isn't it? And the next consignment of coal will probably suffer the same fate. 
Can't anything be done about it? Oh, no. The junk boys will not carry the coal at all if they can't play their little game and collect their commie shore. I can see another interruption coming. Maybe in the seclusion of my room tonight, I'll be able to add a few personal words to each one of you. I'm quite sure that I will get no more peace right now for completion of this letter, and so I shall call it a day. Cheerio. Love and kisses to all the families. Bet. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Dad, mum, mass. Kiss, 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 kiss. Alexander's. Kiss, 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 kiss. Crystal's. Kiss, kiss, Jew and fiancé. Gosh, what a crowd for the next corned beef dinner. Production credits for this episode. Produced and narrated by Warren Henry. The voice of Betty Souter by Helen Polkinghorn. And the featured tune from 1946, with a nod to the Unra story about the children. Onesie, twosie, I love youzie. Performed by Phil Harris and his orchestra. Daddy. Yes, baby. What's our arithmetic lesson today? We're going to learn counting a new kind of way. All right, Daddy. I'm ready to start. Well, then you count with me and we'll both be smart. One twosie, I'll kiss you, Z. Four-zy, kiss some more-zy. Let's start counting higher. Four-zy, five-zy, let's get live-zy. Five-zy, six-zy, hug me quick-zy. Six-zy, seven-zy, this is heaven-zy. My heart's on a flyer. Keep the numbers going till the song is done. Love will keep on growing and we'll have lots of fun. Gee, baby, that was wonderful. You know, you're getting better every day. Please, Daddy, let's do it again. Again? All right. One twosie, you're my hoosie. Twosie, threesie, you please me, see. Threesie, foursie, tell me more, Z. Let's start counting higher. Foursie, fivesie, you're so lazy. Fivesie, sixie, you're a pixie. Sixie, seventie, and four makes elevensie. Oh, my, you high flyer. Keep the numbers going till the lesson's done. My love for you is growing. We're having so much fun. I'm glad you're mine, Z. Nine, Z, ten, Z, say it again, Z. One, Z, two, Z, I love you, Z. You're my whatnot. You're my hot chocolate. <laughs> One, Z, two, Z, I love you, Z.